Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? I am doing good. I'm looking forward to today's podcast. I feel like I'm probably going to learn quite a bit. This is, oh, great. this is one that like the listeners have requested in some form. So we are happy to oblige because I don't want to say the new way we're doing things because we always listen to your suggestions, but we are trying to take suggestions from you guys and we're going to be implementing those into our future podcasts. So if you're listening to this and you have something you would like to hear us talk about, please leave a comment, send us an email, send us a message on social media, let us know. Yes. And, uh, or talk to us. We've been at a couple shows and lots more coming. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got a show, a reptile show this weekend. And, and then Aquashella. Yeah. Is, Aquashella's in May. Yep. We're almost, we're, we're in oh, May. We're in May. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the time Hello? gone? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, May. wow. Oh yeah. End of was... mid, mid, end of May. <laughs> And we're off, folks. We're rolling. Anyway, we are going to go a little deeper, maybe, uh, you know, waist deep into the rabbit hole a little bit and talk about denitrification today, which uh, at um, Reefapalooza uh, two weeks ago, this couple came up in their service company and they were asking specifically on this topic because they're servicing a 5,000 gallon reef tank where the nitrates are in the hundreds of parts um, you know, per million. And they wanted to know how they should get that, reduce that nitrate. What's, what's the alternatives besides making up a ton of seawater? And I know we've been getting some uh, requests for that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And first, because you, where's the nitrate coming from, which seems obvious, but we don't want to assume anything. So nitrate comes from the end product of nitrification. The ammonia that the fish excrete is converted to nitrite, and then the nitrite's converted to nitrate. And a little bit of data for every milligram of ammonia produced, um, that turns into 4.3 milligrams of nitrate. And how much ammonia is produced depends upon how much you feed and the protein content. Higher protein food produces more ammonia, which produces more nitrate. You can't stop the process. You don't want to stop the process. You don't want... Uh, ammonia building up, so you're going to get nitrification producing nitrate. So what? how do you reduce it? Well, the easiest way is water changes, but if you've got a huge system, that may not be practical. Um, there's also maybe local regulations, you know, you, that you just can't put it down the drain. Maybe if, you know, 10 gallon, 50 gallon, 100 gallon aquarium, you're, pro you're fine doing a water change but 5,000 gallons, 10,000 gallons. Um, you... Can I pause you? Sure. How would you know if you're not allowed to do this? Would you, can they tell if you're putting like large quantities of water back into the system? Going to be like, send you a message on your bill? 
I think they'd they think they'd have to do a lot of investigation, and I think a sewage treatment plant, wastewater treatment plant, would be probably more concerned about the amount of salt you're putting in there. Makes sense because remember, as we've talked about, the freshwater nitrifiers don't do well in in salt. But you know, it all it all depends on the municipality. I don't think it's a real issue, but. This talk was really designed for uh, major public aquariums, and they definitely have issues because they're, oh, yeah. a, you know, they're a point source discharge, and they have to have a, any uh, permits to discharge their water because you're talking about hundreds of thousands of gallons and things like that. So this uh, talk, okay. this talk, what I'm talking about are the slides that I'm showing originally given to uh, a public aquarium group. So, but for your home aquarium, you're fine. Well, all right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it's fine. Um, if, if you're thinking about it, I'm sure everybody's thinking about it. So you can be the voice of uh, our listeners, which you always are. So, or you can assimilate, you know, you can get the nitrate uh, reduced by, you know, not chemical or, or uh, bacterial processes, but by green plants and algae. Um, using it. This is very common in freshwater aquariums and more and more with salt tolerant plants, um, figuring out how to use uh, plants and using the nitrate as a nutrient to grow plants. Would uh, scrubbers fall into this category? Yep. Algae scrubbers. Yep. Definitely. But you have to remember Algae scrubbers, ketomorpha, all those types of things, the nitrate is being converted to plant material. It doesn't leave the aquarium until you harvest those that plant material. Then, then you've removed the nitrate. It's just like if you're using, you know, vodka dosing or some way to stimulate bacteria growth and bacteria as they multiply and grow, remove nitrate from the water, but you've got to get the bacteria out of the water to complete the process. And that's why a skimmer becomes really important because it's automatic. You know, you can do assimilation. These are all assimilation um, where you're converting the nitrate into some type of uh, um, living organism, bacteria, plants, algae. But with a skimmer, it removes the bacteria automatically. You don't have to worry about it. If you don't have a skimmer, you need to use a filter sock and then change that filter sock or a sponge that will become clogged up with the bacteria. But until you remove and clean that sponge, you really haven't completed the process. Assimilation can, in algae scrubbers, you need lighting, uh, which you know energy can be energy intensive, and also it can impart uh, you know, a brownish color to the water, which some people don't like. Uh, me, if you looked at my one of my my big koi pond, the water is not crystal clear. I let the leaves impart a humic acids into that water, humic substances, because that reduces the chance of bacteria growth in the water column. And knock on wood, in 25 years of having my pond, I've never had a bacterial disease, and I've got about 30 little koi running or swimming around this year. They spawned last year and they're doing quite well. So 
The other way is to use bacteria, which is denitrification. And that involves multiple steps, every one of which is a bacteria. So you're taking the nitrate and converting it back to nitrite and then to nitric acid, nitrous oxide, and finally, nitrogen gas, N2, so it off-gasses. This is done anaerobically. So there's the chemical formula for those that are interested. Um, and anaerobically means that low oxygen. Nitrification, which is an oxidation process, occurs in the presence of oxygen. So you, if your tank were completely devoid of oxygen, well, your fish and corals would be dead, uh, but you couldn't do nitrification. Now, with heterotrophic denitrification, heterotrophic's the kind of bacteria um, that do this, you have to have an anaerobic or low oxygen environment. You can use different biomedia just like we do with uh, nitrification. The key to heterotrophic denitrification is you need some type of external organic carbon source. Heterotrophic bacteria, by definition, need a carbon source. So to do denitrification, you need low oxygen and you need to introduce some type of carbon. And there are aquarium companies that manufacture denitrification systems. And in all those systems, there's a liquid or a tablet or something that you periodically add, and that's the carbon source that you need for these bacteria. In bigger systems, we use methanol, glucose, sucrose, any, any type of, um, it's one of the big costs is this organic substance. So you try to find what is a waste organic substance near the facility that you're doing the denitrification at that you can get the subs, the organic uh, substance cheap because transportation costs add up. The bacteria, they're facultative, which means they can go both ways. They can operate aerobically or anaerobically. Generally, denitrification is not how they make the, the most efficient living, but they can definitely do that. Like our waste-away bacteria. Our waste-away bacteria are facultative heterotrophs, which means they mineralize, break down organics when there's oxygen present. If it's anaerobic environment, they'll switch to doing denitrification. As I think we've talked about many times, Hillary, bacteria are quite... Um, adaptable. You know, we talk about them. They're primitive. They're simple. Humans can only live one way. Uh, bact most bacteria can live multiple, multiple ways, which can be good and bad. And the species usually a, a pseudomonas. And if you look at this process, it's right in the anaerobic. Anaerobic, the definition may be between one and two parts per million or 0 0.5 to two, not over two parts per million oxygen level. And so that means there's potential problems if you're trying to do denitrification on your home aquarium. And those problems lead to incomplete denitrification. And this even happens in big public aquariums where the process stops 
at the first step, nitrate being converted to nitrite, and you get a lot of nitrite buildup in the system. And there's people out there that want to say, you know, don't worry about it in saltwater aquariums that nitrite's not toxic. And that's true when the nitrite is low, but when nitrite is high, it can still be toxic. It can stunt growth. It can poison the nitrifying bacteria. So you don't want high nitrite in any of your systems. Um, and it can go the wrong way. We want the nitrite to go to that nitrous oxide, but if the system isn't working correctly, you're going to start producing ammonia. So now you've got a mess on your hands. And also feeding the organic carbon, well, that's carbon dosing. So you're trying to feed the anaerobic bacteria inside your denitrification chamber, but you're also, there's no way you can avoid it, feeding the bacteria in the water column too. So there's a lot of problems associated with this um, that they that all have to be controlled. And you can get crashes in your oxygen level, you can get bacteria blooms, and you can get a, then a buildup of sulfide when the, when the oxygen goes anoxic. So uh, there are lots of different ways this process can happen. What you're looking for is a smooth operation. And the biggest drawback is controlling the amount of oxygen in your water. You have to side stream it which means take a little bit of your aquarium water, put it through a lot of tubing where the bacteria on the sides of the tubing are removing the oxygen until it gets to that low oxygen level and goes into the denitrification chamber. So that sounds like a lot of work, and it is for a home aquarist. And the different types of substances also uh, can be a problem to get on, you know, to get access to and use. And some of them are, let's face it, they're flammable too. So uh, not the easiest process in the world. So the pros and cons. Now, the one nice thing about heterotrophic denitrification is that it adds back alkalinity. If you remember, when you're doing nitrification, you're consuming alkalinity because nitrification is adding hydrogen ions to the water. That's, you know, the acid, the alkalinity, the buffering consumes that. Eventually the alkalinity runs out and your pH starts to drop. With denitrification, it's the opposite. You're adding hydroxyl ions back to the water and buffering that water. And so your pH doesn't drop. And you can achieve, and it, you know, I'm, it's it's not the easiest process, but it can be done. It's just not something that you can start up and forget. But you can have a process where your pH never drops, and which is you know very nice. But it takes a long time to get going, and if you get a big, um, if you're not able to control the oxygen level, and you get a surge of ox highly oxygenated water into the denitrification chamber, that can basically wipe out the entire process, and you have to start over. 
So there's another way to do denitrification, and that's called chemotrophic. So nitrifiers are chemotrophic. There's also chemotrophic, which is a chemical process through a bacterial, um, through bacteria, just like the nitrifiers take ammonia, convert it to nitrite, or nitrite convert it to nitrate. You can do bacterial denitrification using sulfur. This process can be actually much easier it's an, than uh, heterotrophic denitrification. You have this anaerobic environment again, but it's a small chamber that's filled with sulfur granules. And there are companies uh, out there. There was a company there at, at Palooza that was doing this or selling the system. And you side stream a little bit of water, so you're not having all the water go through the system. So it takes time if you have a lot of water to start seeing the nitrate drop. But the bacteria are consuming the sulfur granules and at the same time removing the nitrate from the water. If you're interested in the messy details, there's a you know chemical reaction up above on this slide. And so you've got bacteria that are chemoautotrophic, just like nitrifiers. And those species include thiobacillus denitrificans. Um, this process is not as efficient as denitrification in terms of how fast it works. But it is, in, in my opinion, for an aquarist, easier to set up. Um, and the potential problems, though, because there's always issues, is, again, if you don't put the water through at the right rate, you'll get the nitrite building up. So too fast, the process won't work because it doesn't go aerobic. Too slow, and the nitrite builds up because it's gone anoxic which is, again, toxic to fish, toxic to the bacteria. Also, the biggest issue with doing sulfur denitrification is that the water coming out of the reactor is at a pH of 6, which obviously is completely different than for if you're doing salt water, you know, any type of salt water system, which pH is, you know, never really below 7.8 or so. Also, the water is basically devoid of oxygen at this time. What we recommend is the discharge water is run through calcium flakes, and that will increase the pH before it goes back into the aquarium. If you are looking or considering doing sulfur denitrification, you do not want to run the water that's coming out of the reactor directly back into the aquarium. You must run that water through some type of a contact chamber that's containing calcium or in or a mixture of calcium and activated carbon. And remember I said heterotrophic denitrification produces alkalinity. Sulfur denitrification consumes alkalinity. So you're, that's why also you want to run it through that calcium to try to get some buffering back into the water. So it's you know it, this this sort of denitrification does not provide any buffering ability whatsoever.
So the pros and cons, now the pros are this process can start really fast um, within a matter of a week or a couple of days. Uh, you only need sulfur, you, you know, the sulfur granules in a chamber. You don't have to add any type of uh, uh, organic substance. What's going to happen is the sulfur granules are going to be consumed. Now, some on a big commercial scale, what they do is they take that chamber and they rotate it a little bit. And that's because you're going to see a buildup of bacterial biomass and that sulfur granules be, can become clogged. So you kind of have to shake that or, tw or twist it a little bit. You don't want the bed to be completely static so that you can flush out the uh, bacterial biomass. And that's why once you have your discharge water, it should go over some type of uh, floss, fuzzy you know, material, floss material, filter floss material to trap those bacteria, which you can remove from the system. Also, it can work in relatively high oxygen, as much as one, two milligrams per liter, and it's easy to set up. Now, the cons, as I mentioned, the water coming out of the system has got to go through a reactor because it is terrible aquarium water. The sulfur has to be replenished. Usually you'll have to open up your reactor, add some sulfur. That'll probably inhibit the process. It'll have to start over, but it starts back quick. Uh, and then you get the biofouling. Biofouling is the buildup of the bacteria in the sulfur granules that can start clogging. Um, so that is a quick introduction to the two types, uh, major types of denitrification using, uh, you know, bacteria in the aquarium system. And so, Hillary, I'm sure you've got lots of questions. I do have a whole <laughs> bunch of notes. <laughs> so since you just recently talked about this and about how it needs to go over filter floss, before it gets put back into the rest of the aquarium water or reincorporated. Can you tell us a little bit about the space requirements for both of these different types of reactors and where they should be located in the sump? I'm trying to envision where I would put it in my sump or like the average hobbyist, how it needs to be set up. Well, with the sulfur reactor, they're, they're not very big. You know, the, the, it's a round column generally that's four inches in diameter and maybe only 18 inches tall. And you can hang that outside your sump and then have a separate, you want to probably have a separate small pump, water pump that is taking water from your sump and pumping it through the sulfur reactor and then a tube out of the reactor going into a contact, you know, a contact chamber, which can be, you know, some area of your sump that's full of the calcium uh, chips or calcium flakes. So that that doesn't take too much room. You know, any of these types of denitrification, I, I would say you'd have to have, you'd really want an aquarium that's at least two or three hundred gallons you know what the economics of it but you know people pe people are very good at do it yourself 
uh, you know, and putting things into small places. So, you know, and part of the fun of the hobby is experimenting and things like that. So I wouldn't say you couldn't do it in a smaller tank. Um, it's, it's just water changes could be cheaper and easier. Um, for heterotrophic denitrification, you again can do it in a small, you know, four to six inch diameter uh, tube that's one or two feet, you know, not one, but it's got to be at least two or three feet tall. So you can do it that way. And you have to have a port that you can open up and drop in the organic material. There used to be a couple of commercially available systems for hobbyists, but I haven't seen those in the last couple of years. It's, it's not as simple, and you definitely want to have a separate pump for just your denitrifying filter because you have to be able to control the flow. And when you're running this and setting it up, you want to be able to measure, you know, grab a water sample on the discharge of your denitrifier so that you can make sure you're not producing nitrite. And don't worry if you see it in the beginning, you probably will as the bacteria start to establish. But over, you know, a two, three week period, and for the denitrifying filter, it could even take longer, um, four weeks, you eventually should start seeing water that comes out nitrate free, nitrite free. It should be really good water. How often would you recommend testing that to see waiting till you get to that point? Every couple of days, it, you know, it, bacterial processes take time. It's just like when people use our one and only and they set everything up and two hours later, I didn't see the ammonia. Okay. It's not that fast folks. Um, so every, every, you know, two or three days, don't uh, freak out about that, but you definitely need to be measuring both nitrite and nitrate. Why? Well, remember your nitrate test kit, that first chemical that you add is a reducing agent that is reducing the nitrate to nitrite, and then the test is measuring nitrite. Well, if you're not measuring nitrite at the same time, and your system is you know stuck, like I talked about, both both of these processes in the beginning will produce nitrite and can get stuck there. You're, you're just measuring nitrate. You think everything's great because you're getting a reading, but that reading could be the nitrite. Does that make sense, Hillary? Yeah. So, so you got to measure nitrite because the nitrite should be zero, and then your nitrate, say that's, you know, in the beginning, six or seven or eight or nine or 10 or 20, whatever it is, you know that's the nitrate because your nitrite is zero. But you start the denitrification process and your nitrite is your, your nitrate is 20, and yet you go and measure nitrite and it's 10. Well, half that nitrate that you measured is coming from the nitrite that's in the water because the denitrification process isn't complete. Did I make that clear or muddy? Yeah, 
<laughs> no, I think that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be measuring nitrite when you're doing denitrification and measuring nitrite, both of them. So you should always be testing anyway. So yeah, just, Any, just put this on your checklist. Yeah. And it's a simple test. Uh, and it's really, as I've mentioned, we've talked about many times, it's kind of that canary in the coal mine. Your your nitrite after your tank is established should basically always be zero. And if you start getting nitrite, that tells you something's going wrong in your aquarium and you need to check out and really look, investigate what's going on. M most cases, your water flow, your biofilter is clogged, so you're not getting good nitrification um and with and it's kind of the opposite with denitrification is you're probably pumping the water uh well it can go either way you're pumping the water too fast so the process can't complete or it's too slow and it's clogged up and it's gone anoxic and you're starting to produce that and that brings up another thought the key to to monitor to making denitrification work in an aquarium system is the water flow. But if you go too low, you'll go from anaerobic to anoxic. And if your system is so, if you have a saltwater system, and it can happen in freshwater too, though, and and you have, you automatically will have a lot of sulfate in that water because that's part of the makeup of saltwater. When the system goes anoxic, the bacteria switch and they start taking the sulfate in the water and producing hydrogen sulfide. So if you're doing this process and you smell rotten eggs, even a whiff of rotten egg smell, that's hydrogen sulfide, that is the warning that your water flow through your denitrification filter is too low or the system is clogged up and you need to um, uh, clean it, get a little bit more water flow, do something because you do not want a bunch of hydrogen sulfide going back into your aquarium because it will kill your corals, it'll kill your fish, and it'll kill your nitrifying bacteria. So I feel like we've touched on that like in conversations like when people have had power outages with canister filters and to like close those and like dump them out would you recommend sealing it off from the system and then starting over or just you think increasing the flow would be enough and wouldn't cause harm well well it depends on what you mean by causing harm to whom but what you should always have that's why I say use the separate water pump and you have a tube come out of your denitrifier and you can take that tube and instead of the water going back into your aquarium, you can collect it into, you know, a bucket or something and just take your water pump and increase the flow and kind of shake your denitrifying filter because you're trying to loosen up all that biomass and get more flow to flush that biomass out of the system into the waste bucket. And sure, just, just you might lose, you know, the, it isn't as if the bacteria are exposed to a little bit of oxygen for a minute or two, they're all going to die. They're not going to die. But 
you don't worry about that. They'll be fine. You don't want to run it through there for 20, you know, four hours or something like that. But a quick increased flow and some shaking of the media to flush out that biomass and then turn your pump back down and you should be fine. And that's almost a regular maintenance that you should do if running a denitrifier, like on a weekly basis. And, and also measure, you know, when things are working, measure the water flow. You know, how long does it take to fill up a cup or literally a cup or two cups, you know, get a measuring cup out of the kitchen and time it. Okay. It took, you know, the water flow, it took two minutes to fill up to two cups. When you start seeing things aren't going well, we'll measure that water flow. Now it's taking, you know, five minutes, six minutes to get that same. That's telling you your system's clogged up. And that's why you, that's when you need to clean it. Ah, okay. That makes sense. These these are not maintenance free. You know, n- nothing is maintenance free. And uh, that brings up another point. You were asking where to put it. You should put this system after your mechanical filter. Anytime you're trying to do anything microbially, you should put it after your mechanical filter because all the organics, you know, the particulate organic material clogs up all the bacterial biomass, which you don't want. This is probably not something that's for a beginning hobbyist or not something that you would probably need on a new tank. This is for a fairly mature system. Am I correct in that? Yes. This is not something for a brand new hobbyist. If one, you know, you've got a big system or you're you're caring for a big system, 500,000, 4,000 gallons, which sounds crazy, but I think you you've met talked to a lot of people, you know, at these shows here. There's a people that have some huge aquariums out there. You oh, know, yeah. used, used to oh, be yeah. 250 gallons was like <laughs> that's yeah, you've got a big aquarium. Now 250, everybody seems to have a 250 gallon aquarium. Yeah. The no pictures, yeah, the pictures we see are like, dang, that's huge. Yeah. A thousand oh. gallons is not there's a lot of thousand gallon aquariums out there, folks, and five hundred gallon aquariums, and that's a lot of water. Yes. Yeah. So if you have that type of system and you're uh have a lot of fish in it, you know, because uh, I've got this big aquarium, I'm filling this thing up, and you're feeding a lot and producing a lot of nit- nitrate, you know, doing water changes is is a lot of work and a lot of expense, and what do you do with that water and things like that? So that's a prime candidate for these types of systems. Um, there, There is another way. I mean, this talk is on denitrification. There is you know, assimilation, which we briefly touched using the bio pellets, um, which is very efficient, or, you know, the algae scrubbers. There's there's many, many ways to do this. None of them absolutely the, you know, the correct way. It depends upon, as I've always said, with, with a, any filter, how much time do you have? Do you, can you do the maintenance? Do you understand how to, to do the maintenance? Will you do the maintenance? Because, if things become a kind of a pain in the rear, we put it off. There's no doubt about it. And, and <laughs> so much truth to that. It's just human nature. Yeah, I'll get to it tomorrow. A month later, I haven't got to that. I'm not going to get to it. Um, <laughs> and, and when it you know comes to an aquarium, especially with marine aquarium, putting off the maintenance leads to disaster. 
So uh, it's it's for bigger systems, systems that have a lot of fish, systems that produce a lot of nitrate. Uh, these can be, you know, economically uh, save you time and money done right. And I don't want to paint it as difficult. It's just more. It has to be more or managed more than a nitrifying filter. Nitrifying filter, as long as the water's moving, it's got good oxygen, the bacteria are going to come and they're going to do their thing. Denitrifying, um, you're, you're more on the edge of things because if it does, you don't maintain it, it'll go anoxic and produce hydrogen sulfide and you're just not going to be happy with that result. Yes. Yeah. I feel like if you're, especially if you're a beginner, this like not that you can't do it, but that there's a lot of other things that you can learn about taking care of an aquarium. And I mean, there is a lot to learn, a lot to observe, a lot to figure out that like put this in the next steps if you want to okay. further your right. experience. I, I would put in doing more of uh, automated adding trace elements and maintaining your pH and alkalinity, you know, with, um, calcium reactors before this because that's more important um you know nitrate you definitely don't want to go zero or super low we you know people come up to us and if they've got dinoflagellates it, it's almost 98% plus that they've got no nitrate or very low nitrate in the water so and, and there's people that have absolutely gorgeous systems. There's public aquariums that are absolutely gorgeous where the nitrate is over a hundred. You know, it, it you don't really want it that high, but it is not the number one. And this is my personal experience and opinion. It is not the number one thing that you should be chasing. Um, Stability is what marine organisms want. Stability in pH. Uh, if you're going for the you know high corals, you know high population of corals, you need your calcium and your magnesium, your strontium, your trace elements, your lighting. There's plenty of things to spend your time and and hard earned money on rather than putting together a denitrifying fil uh, filter when you can basically just change water a lot easier. That brings me to a question. How many people do you think have these kind of filters on their systems? Nowadays, that, that would be an interesting. Can we run a poll? Yeah, we can try. <laughs> <laughs> you can <could> try. <laughs> okay, I can try. I will try. I would say not that many. Um, I, I bet you it's less than 10%, maybe even less than 5%. And probably you know, those are on, all on fairly large systems. Then. Yeah, I, I know. I, I would. Fifteen years ago, it was definitely a lot more um, people. But then with bio pellets, it's just so much easier to get rid of your nitrate using bio pellets. Um, which, which I guess I'm leading into another topic that we should get into of of how to use bio pellets because you can use that aerobically and anaerobically. But um, much easier to do nitrification uh, removal. It's not denitrification using bio pellets. Sounds 
put that on the list for our future podcast. Yeah. And actually, I kind of misspoke there because if you do the bio pellets in an anaerobic chamber, you will get denitrification because the bio pellets are that organic substance that you need to add. And it can be quite efficient. There's some big public aquariums that use bio pellets for doing denitrification. But with every, you know, as with everything, there's pros and cons, and that's for another day. Well, like that. Sounds like a good place to end. It is. So, all right. Thanks, everyone. This has been um, an introduction to denitrification. Don't be scared of it, but just respect the bacteria. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> That works. <laughs> All right, everyone. This is the month of May, right, Hillary? We're already into this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. This is it's May the fourth be with you. Yeah, May the fourth. <laughs> and with that, folks, have a great day and good fish keeping. This has been Dr. Tim and Hillary with another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast.